Hello, my name is Tony Reid. Welcome to GAY, a radio programme for LGBTI people and their friends on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM and, and other access radio stations around New Zealand. Today is my annual encounter with Gareth Watkins. Um, and his husband, Roger Smith, who come and give us little uh, exciting clips from the news over the year, which have come as a result of normally interviews on, on Pride NZ. And, uh, 90, and in 2022, quite a bit happened, so I better hand over immediately to Gareth. Oh, so we don't run out of time. <laughs> kia ora, Tony, and uh, thank you so much for having us on Kapiti Gay. It's um, it's always lovely to to come up here um, at the start of the year and look back at uh, some amazing events which happened last year. And last year was such a big year. Um, I'm thinking particularly of things like um, COVID and the response. And you know, when you think of like at the, at the start of the year. Uh, we had very little Omicron in the community, and then you know over the over the last year, it's it's kind of spread throughout. We've had vaccinations and masks, and all of that has impacted on a lot of uh, Pride events. And I was reflecting um, the other day about um, a lot of Pride events kind of didn't really start in person again until about the middle of the year, and then kind of a bit later in 2022, um, there were there were more and more. One of those, um, which was a really special event for both Roger and I, was uh, we, we, we helped install two, mes- two memorial seats for two rainbow icons, particularly in Wellington, Carmen Rupe and Chrissy Witoku. And uh, we worked with the City Council in Wellington to put two seats on the corner of Cuba and Vivian Street. And both um, Carmen and Chrissy ran uh, hospitality establishments in Wellington in the 60s, 70s, and in uh, Chrissy's case right through until the 2000s. And um, we uh, were very fortunate to have Jackie Grant, who is on the West Coast in the South Island. Uh, She came up to Wellington uh, to help launch these seats. Jackie was a friend of both uh, Chrissy and Carmen. And uh, a a day before the launch, uh, I was able to sit down with Jackie and do an interview with her. And she was talking about her time in Wellington in the 60s. And she told this amazing story about her and uh, Chrissy Weetoku setting up the Doodle Inn. And the Doodle Inn was opposite Parliament on Molesworth Street in the 1960s. It was uh, originally a a restaurant and uh, they took it on and uh, transformed it into the first topless restaurant in Wellington. And uh, she was just recounting this wonderful story uh, where she's talking about the previous owners had a, a, a standard booking for a regular roundtable meeting of religious leaders in Wellington. And when they took on the Doodle Inn, um, they turned it into something special. We decided to introduce the topless waitresses on that night when the round table had their thing because we thought if they're going to arrest us, they're going to arrest half of the leading clergy in in Wellington. That's probably not going to happen. So we rang up the TV people and the um, radio station and they're all there behind us. Anyway, these poor guys didn't have a clue what was about to happen. So anyway, I'll call her Mary. Mary had a big tray with piled up with meals and the meal was breast of chicken. We thought breast of chicken was going to be appropriate. And she was holding this tray, she had this tiny little mini skirt, nothing on top, uh, except she had one breast in the middle of 
<laughs> those two plates and one breast in the middle of those two plates and up she tropped up the stairs and started putting their meals out with the straightest face you've ever seen and these poor guys were just and the and the cameras and the radio people were right behind them asking them for comment <laughs> and what could they do but just join in on the joke you know and we never got um we didn't get arrested we never got we never got a visit from the cops but about four months later it mysteriously caught fire in the middle of the night and burnt down i think more bob muldoon had something to do with that um <laughs> He didn't like the idea of it. But we had lots of MPs sneak in. And we had no money when we were doing this either. So what what used to happen, it was 10 shillings to get in. And we opened at 4 o'clock. And by about 4, 5.30, 6 o'clock, we were finished. We were done. Um, because there were no office workers left in town. And what they used to do, they'd come in in their raincoat and pull their coats up and they'd come in there, pay their 10 shillings and go upstairs and sit in a corner. And, and we only had two things on the menu, was steak or fish. So someone had come in and they'd order, we loved it when they ordered steak because they never ate it. So we could recycle a piece of steak about six times during the night. And if they ordered fish, Chrissy would run into the fish and chop shop next door and order a piece of fish and half a scoop. And I'd run up to the, to the, to the, cause we didn't have any money when we got there that night, you know, so we had to buy the ingredients. I'd run up to the greengrocers just up the road and get a tomato and a lettuce and, <laughs> And we always had a bottle of mayonnaise. And we'd serve the meal. The meals always looked quite good. But they'd, they'd take one bite. The fish was buggered. You couldn't recycle f battered fish. But steak, you just trimmed her up and sent it up to the next one. And there'd be another little bit out of it. You could slice out of it and you'd send it back up again. The very wonderful Jackie Grant, and it was so wonderful to have Jackie uh, here in Wellington uh, to be able to help launch those two wonderful uh, seats. Well, stepping back a little bit earlier in 2022 and back to July, and it was one of the first in-person Pride events we were able to attend. It was the Living in Colour Pride event, and it was held at the Dallas Art Museum in Lower Hutt. And this is the second year that the Hutt Valley Pride uh, has taken place. Uh, they have a whole variety of performances and community stalls. And it's time to coincide with Matariki, the, the Māori New Year. And here's one of the uh, lead organisers, Cameron Kapoor Morel, at the start of the event. So this whole day I've been in a constant state of overwhelm. Like, I'm full of whelm and it is overflowing. That's why I'm sitting here trying to be quiet and just focus my energies in because I'm so overwhelmed. This is so beautiful. Ain't nothing could have been better. This is the most amazing thing. This, to me, is uh, what I feel like as a young takatapui that grew up in Te Whārua Waipiro. This is what I would have loved to have seen. I would have loved to have grown up to know that it was okay to be me. And so this day is not just about us entertaining everyone, being excellent and tying it in with Matariki, it's also a, a way for us to nurture those ener the energy and the seeds of potential within our young people to let them know, no matter what you are, no matter what you look like, no matter how you identify there is space for you and we ha welcome you 
this event is also tied in with Mataliki, and I wonder, um, could you explain the significance of tying it to Mataliki? Mm. So in the beginning, we started this event, and it was around the Matariki time of last year, which I believe was around the 17th to the 19th of July. That was, we're sort of just at the, we were still within the time that Matariki appeared in our, in our skies. Um, the importance for us was that not only were we wanting recognition as the rainbow community and to you know, be broadcast the how special we are, um, but also around the time that we're planning it for, Matariki just so happened to um, appear before us, and so we thought, what a better way than to merge Kahukura or the rainbow with that of the stars, both celestial things and both with um, very uh, strong meanings to us. And so we've used Matariki um, as a way to kickstart us off with the right energy, because um, Matariki is a time about reflection, looking back on the past and those who have gone before us. It's about celebration, looking at what we've done so far, the year that has just gone by, and it's about um, future setting. So what do we want for the future? How are we going to look after the generations to come what are we doing for them in order to support them and so this event and the themes of Matariki perfectly tied into one another. For, for people living in larger centres so like Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch they, they, they have annual pride events why is it important for local pride events to happen? I really love that. That's a very beautiful question. The reason why this whole kaupapa started out here in the hut is because of that. Um, we noticed that all of the energy resources and anything that is anything gets pulled towards our bigger cities. And we know that us out here in the smaller parts of the country still have a lot to offer. And so we thought instead of our kids and our whanau having to travel into town to... Uh, celebrate something within the, their community but away from where they live, um, why don't we start something right here in the heart of their community so that, one, they don't have to travel far, two, it's more reflective of who the Hutt Valley are, and um, and three, it was just a way for us to make something of our, like make a stamp on our world. Um, as another, it's, it's connected to this, Hutt City is a city of firsts. So, um, and one of these firsts is uh, we have the Tinoranga Tiratanga, the New Zealand, and the Pride flag now rise and flying above our council. And nowhere else in the country have I seen that. And so um, if that's a demonstration to the city that our council is behind us and our council serve us. And so we are sort of just wrapped up into this big ball of energy to put our stamp on something too. The council have made their declaration as like a local government entity. This is our declaration as a community group. It was such a, a wonderful community spirit at the Hutt Valley Pride event. It was really, really fantastic. Another um, event that uh, was just so joyful was the world's unofficial shortest pride parade which happens in Paikakariki every year uh, during uh, Labour Weekend in October and it's just, it brings the community together, doesn't it? Yes, I was there and it's, it's quite a family event. There's all sorts and shapes and sizes. Yeah, it was Lots a, and lots of lesbians, of course. Fantastic <laughs> day. Uh, we were delighted to meet two people on the, on the parade uh, which were Coral Trimmer and Sylvia Bagnell and Coral is 92 years old. Uh, she had just returned uh, to New Zealand um, after living in Australia for uh, quite a, a number of years. And Coral and Sylvia had just recently got married. 
and uh, they were just delightful. And so we actually paid another visit to them um, a bit later on after Pride and uh, did an interview about their lives together. And during that interview, Coral recounted a, a really fascinating uh, story about her first meeting with Rhett, um, a Dutch World War II hero who had actually been imprisoned by the Nazis. And uh, Rhett uh, subsequently moved to New Zealand and the pair met in Wellington when Coral was in her early 20s. And uh, I should note this is, um, I mean, this is a really fascinating story, but the, the, the bit of audio does contain um, a graphic description of Rhett's war experience. And out walked this woman with a big smile. She was uh, 10 years, I was 23, she was 33. She walked out and sat opposite me and she looked and she said, my name's Rhett. And I said, I couldn't talk. I just mouthed the word coral and shook hands. And she looked at me and she said, do you like boys? I said, no, I couldn't talk. No. And she said, good. You like girls? I said, yes. Yes, that in my head. Yeah. And she was, she was really, truly wonderful. She knew that I was terrified. I had no idea about love between women. All I knew was what I felt. And um, what happened was she was distributing anti-Nazi pamphlets during, at the beginning of the occupation. Um, it was in Amsterdam. And um, I've seen photographs of her at, at that age, at 21, and she was very beautiful, extremely beautiful woman. And um, what she had to do to get through that time, I don't know. I didn't ask her. I didn't ask her anything about the war because I thought that could open wounds. I knew if she wanted me to know, she would tell me, and she did at times. But um, there were little things that happened. I mean, uh, when we lived in, in Pomari, we were close to the Hutt River, and there are big rocks along the Hutt River, and, and quite often she and I would walk along there, and we're walking along there one day, and she stopped, and I thought she was going to pass out. And I held her and managed to sit down with her. I said, what's wrong? And she said, that red paint. Someone had spilt red paint on the rocks. And then she told me the story about some Nazis had soldiers had been, a couple of them had been killed by the resistance movement. And as a reprisal, they stopped people in the, um, in the city, in town, and picked out, selected half a dozen blah, 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 men, women, children, anybody. They stood there, and all the other people, and she happened to be one of them, they made them stand and watch while they machine-gunned these innocent people. And then they made her walk through the blood over the bodies. And that's what it reminded her of. So these things sometimes would come crashing back. When I listen to Coral's story, it really does make me think of, of how actually how close we are to the past when you think that uh, my connection to Coral and her connection to Rhett, and now we're back in Nazi Nazi times in World War Two, and just how close history actually is. Um, it also makes me think of how um, important it is to be really vigilant about human rights and how quickly um, things can turn really, really nasty. Uh, and that brings us to um, something that's been bubbling away for a few years, which is the hate speech legislation, which is um, currently um, going, you know, the government is kind of working towards the government's working on strengthening the Human Rights Act to prohibit hate speech in relation to religious belief, but they recently have um, uh, not covered uh, sexuality or gender or said that they're not going to do that at, at this stage. Um, 
A really strong example of hate speech for me was back in 2017, and it was um, there was a pastor. I think he was in Auckland, um, Pastor Logan Robertson, and he uh, did a sermon that was uh, then broadcast on a couple of platforms. And the police felt he hadn't broken any laws at the time with his comments, and um, that was actually affirmed in December last year when a high court judge said that his comments were perfectly legal. And boom, you know, I, I just think they're pretty horrific, to be honest. Um, and uh, you know, I would certainly classify them as hate speech. Um, Prior to the 2017 general election, a number of politicians uh, had a, had a get-together, and I was able to ask them their views on hate speech, and in particular, um, what they thought of the pastor's comments. And in this audio clip from 2017, the, um, the pastor begins the, uh, the clip of the pastor begins the, the excerpt. My view on homo marriage is that the Bible never mentions it. So I'm not against them getting married as long as a bullet goes through their head the moment they kiss. Because that's what it talks about. You know, not homo marriage, but homo death. Now, there's no such thing as homo marriage, and it's not even marriage anyway. But that's what should happen. Nicola Willis from the National Party. So obviously those comments by that pastor were disgusting and what was good to see was that they were widely criticised by a broad range of New Zealanders. I don't think anyone defended him and that's right uh, and proper. Um, I think my um, concern with these issues is that where people make those comments that we stand up and we condemn them for them. Do you think we need actually hate speech legislation? I wouldn't jump into that because any legislation like that runs the risk of oppressing people's right to free speech. And when we look at the change that has happened in our community over time, often that has happened because people have been able to speak uh, freely. Uh, but I don't think that speech, the right to free speech means that you can be a complete idiot um, and be really nasty. Yeah, so whether or not legislation is required there isn't something, I mean, it's just not something I would jump into. So you would defend his right to be able to say what he said? Um, I don't think he should have said what he said. I absolutely don't think he should have said what he said. Um, and I think it was offensive and intolerable, and I think that's the message he will have received loud and clear. So why do you think, I mean, the police came out saying that they couldn't prosecute him because he hadn't broken any, any law. Mm. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, um, I think that if I were him and I had received headlines across the country from, to, from people telling me that what I had said was disgusting, I would be reflecting right now and I would not be making those comments again. And I am glad that that's the way our New Zealand community works, that we turn on people who use such horrible speech. So I'm Stephen Berry, I'm number five on the list for the ACT Party. Um, I hate hate speech as much as anyone else, but I also believe in freedom of speech more uh, more than I dislike hate speech. Um, the guy from West Auckland, what he said was absolutely disgusting. Um, I absolutely unreservedly condemn it, um, but it's probably as disgusting as you can get without actually inciting violence. And, you know, uh, what value is free speech if we don't protect unpopular speech? See, I, I would question that he wasn't inciting violence because he did say actually that, that gay people should have bullets through their heads. So, I mean, why isn't that inciting violence? Um, if he was actually getting people together and organising them to go and put bullets through people's heads, that would be a different thing. If he was leading a rally um, telling the people following him to put bullets through their heads, that would be inciting violence. It is a very, very fine line, um, and it's one that he danced a merry jig over 
that it doesn't quite cross the threshold of incitement. But as I say, just because I believe passionately in freedom of speech, that is not an endorsement of uh, the disgusting things this person has said. And um, the fact is that we have freedom of speech, not that we can talk about the weather, but because we can say very controversial things. So Jan Logie, Green Party MP and Rainbow Spokesperson. Um, so I've been following that in the media along, I guess, with everyone else in the community being horrified by it, and but made a decision not to speak publicly about it because this is the second time that he's done that and his congregation has grown since the first time and I, I don't want to give him any more public attention in terms of that hatefulness because I think he's in a process of trying to recruit based on those views and I do think this is an example though that we do need to look at our hate speech legislation and we also need to renew efforts of community building and establishing links between diverse communities and engaging um, some of the mainstream churches in some of that work with the more outlying churches. I was really surprised the police coming out saying that they couldn't prosecute. There was no, there's no criminal act. Yeah, and despite that being very, um, being felt by many of us, I think as as a threat of violence and an incitement to violence. But um, I I think it is a call for us to look at our legislation. So watch the space in 2023 for how that hate speech legislation plays out. Yes, um, I would like to say how naive Nicola Willis is, suggesting that because everybody disapproves of him that he'll change, that he'll change his tune. He's a fundamentalist Christian. He would, he would treat universal condemnation as a badge of honour and pride, and she should know that that's the case. I'm rather concerned that it's only gone to religion. I don't oppose it, 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 it going to religion, but the world, especially the United States, who are, who are, who admittedly not New Zealand, but are very influential in fundamentalist Christian circles, treat freedom of religion as the freedom to tell everybody else what to do and basically to be bullies. And, uh, I want to, I will, plan to go to the select committee when it, if and when it comes out and say that the say that if you're only doing religion you must make very sure that we don't end up with a situation where fundamentalist christians can lord it over the rest of us and tell us how to behave i, I think 2023 is going to be a great year for um asking politicians about hate speech because, of course, it's the general election and yeah. there will be uh, many, hopefully many, opportunities and political forums yeah. to actually put our questions to them yeah. um, because I, I think this is, yeah, this is a time to actually really stand up and make sure that yeah. um, hate speech actually covers uh, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody with a finger, always keeping a finger on the pulse of human rights in, in Aotearoa is activist and academic uh, Nahuya Te Awakutako. And uh, Nahuya 
uh, right back from the 1970s, uh, has been um, an activist on many fronts. In 1972, she was the one that stood up and said, let's start a revolution. I think she actually screamed that. Um, I'm not going to scream it now, but um, it, was, it was really impassioned. And that ignited gay liberation in New Zealand. And so 2022 was the 50th anniversary of gay lib in New Zealand. And one of the big events to mark that occasion was a special panel discussion at the National Library in August. And here's a bit of Nahuya speaking at that event. I should note that um, this event happened about six weeks after the US Supreme Court had overturned the Roe versus Wade decision, which was a law that made access to an abortion in the US uh, a federal right, um, and that, has, uh, th- that had just been overturned. I think of Henare Te Ua, the Kloa whom we all remember and revere, and the work he did. And in his biography, he said, the fight will never end. Now, I don't want to be negative. But when we look around us, when we think about Roe versus Wade and how it took 50 years for them to flip that so easily, we must never take stuff for granted. But now, because it's 22, 2022, we fight this battle with joy because we have tasted that freedom. We have enjoyed the privilege of civil union. We have changed our passports. We have been able to marry each other. So it's from, I think, a much stronger position. We continue the fight. But until every one of us is safe, the fight will continue. I think of kids living in the rural areas, in the regions, and how vulnerable they are. And is their only choice to come to the metropolitan cities? What future is there for them? The wonderful Nahuya, and the thing that really um, speaks to me from uh, what, when Nahuya speaks is that always looking to the future, always looking to say that actually, what do we need to fix? You know, what, what is the next thing that we need to, to fix and to challenge? It's never kind of resting back on something, uh, you, you know, she did 40 years ago. It's always looking forward. Somebody else who is always looking forward is uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kirikiri. And the last clip today uh, comes from a celebration to mark the 10th birthday of Inside Out. So Inside Out is a, a national charity providing education and resources to make sure um, rainbow young people have a sense of safety and belonging. Uh, and in 2022, they celebrated their 10th anniversary. And one of the distinguished speakers was Elizabeth I came from being a youth activist myself. Nothing like this existed when I was a young person. I got lots of crap because I was femme and who did I think I was? Uh, People had lots of really craven suggestions of how I could be turned straight. And it was always something that when I went on to found then Te Whana Whana, that from the beginning, because we bring those Māori values into everything we do, then it's about whānau, that we as elders are always wanting to be here for our young people, regardless of the decisions, regardless of all the things you want to do. It's our job to stand there and support you and never, 
You will know. Anyone who's been around me will say, young people are not the leaders of tomorrow. They are the leaders we need right now. This room is full of those leaders. And I'm so, so thankful for all of you. And we say when Afano is operating well, people of every generation have their place. They are valued. They're honoured. They're recognised. We all work together. And that's what I see that you do. You've made yourself part of our communities and connected in with so much of the work that we do. It's my dream for all of you to grow old, to get your grey hairs, which you may colour in any which way you like, (laughs) and to be someone who can be there and use your experience, your knowledge and your love for the young people that are going to come. A hundred years from now, there's going to be a group of young people looking at the photos from this event and it will change their life. Continue being the change maker. And sometimes it's not the big dramatic things. Let us always remember that. It's being in your family and someone makes that joke and you go, you know what? Not funny. Don't do it again in front of me. So whatever it is we do in the world... Some of you know I talk about the whare takatāpui, this whare of health and well-being for all of us, based on the fact that our people accepted diverse sexuality and gender in this country before colonisation. Every single thing we do, we help rebuild that whare. We make this place, conceptual place, safer and more amazing for all of us, but actually we create a society that is safer and better for all of us. The wonderful Elizabeth Kerikeri and uh, yeah, what a, what an amazing event that tenth birthday celebration for Inside Out was, and happy birthday Inside Out. And Tony, that's um, a brief look at what what we were maybe doing in 2022. Yes, thank you very much. I should point out that Elizabeth Kerikeri was in fact the first of the new gay and lesbian MPs that I interviewed after the last um, after the last election. And she has played sort of quite a uh, quite a role. Uh, the turfs hate her, so that's <laughs> so she's so she's had some positive um, side. Um, anyway, thank you very much, Gareth, for the uh, for the for your for your usual well timed as well um, of, uh, summary of um, uh, um, of the events of the last year. And let's hope it, let's hope in a year's time we're we're still remaining fairly positive. (laughs) So thank you very much. Thank you. You can hear this programme again next Tuesday at 8pm or Thursday at 5pm. It is also available on our website at www.coastaccessradio.org.nz or just Google Coast Access Radio. This is Tony Reid for GOI on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM and other access stations around New Zealand. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.